Welcome, patrons, to this bonus content for episode 56 of Drunk Bible Study. Boy, was this one a doozy. We all immediately <laughs> oh, yeah. went to the, the Googles and uh, tried to figure out exactly WTF was happening in this, <laughs> in this you, thing. Did you find exactly WTF was happening? Uh, I found a whole lot of nothing interesting, or, well, interesting, but not good. My overall takeaway from this is that that like the writings about this are either just not like let's just ignore this and pretend it never <laughs> let's happened. just not talk about it yeah right which is like most of like i can't find very many resources or it's this very surface level like yeah well this is how the ceremony worked no commentary no additional anything or it's something that's used by people trying to talk shit about the bible or something like that to say, like, look, this is mm, messed I up. See. And then other people being like, no, it's not. And that's the end. Or people saying potentially this was about um, talking about the Bible, like inducing abortions, yeah, inducing miscarriages. I came across that as well. And other people being Whoa. like, no, it's not. That's only one translation that sounds like that. No, the others don't. To be fair, I did think that about our translation. And Emily kind of did too, at least that it had to do with pregnancy. Yeah, well, there is that theory yeah. that that the jealousy of the husband would be in suspecting that his wife was pregnant by another man. That's mm. specifically the thing. And so mm. then this idea being that if they gave her this abortifacient potion or whatever it was, abort- yeah. ab- you're giving me a strange look. I'm abort- giving you a strange look. You're using words I don't know. Yeah, abortifacient yeah. is any kind of... I just kind of glossed over it because I figured that, like, you know, this is a thing that Dedeker does all the time, so yeah. what, we're used to it by words? now. It's like, I just yes. looked up an obscure word and I'm going to use it like it's nothing. No, okay, she probably already all, knew it. She probably already, already knew it. I already knew that word. Of course she And if you're paying attention to the news, a lot of conservative senators are using it because they think that the morning after pill is an abortifacient. And it is I not. don't watch conservative news. I did not watch conservative. I'm like, okay, sorry. <laughs> Let me get, bring it back. Um, sorry to our listeners. Just so you know, the word abortifacient refers to are. any kind of substance that causes a miscarriage or an abortion. Anyway, um, yes, there are these theories that, yes, the Sanhedrin or like the judges would give her this potion that in theory would cause her to miscarry were she carrying the child of someone who was not her husband. Mm-hmm. still doesn't help if she's carrying the child of someone who is her husband well i did one of the things that i looked up did kind of in trying to make this argument about like no no it's not stated um that but if but if she hadn't had an affair then it would make her you know healthy and you know would have oh yeah there's great fertility yeah. and stuff oh, yeah. and i was like okay says the bible where dude uh-huh. like, yeah come on good try yeah. there sure it's like oh yeah yeah he made that up exactly i was like bullshit i that was not anywhere even <laughs> close to that chapter we just read no i saw so, some people saying that because it goes on to say that if she's innocent then she will be like able to bear seed that they interpret yeah, like, it so she's not going to get messed up it doesn't say she's yeah, going to be like great okay no but i healthy. heard i heard some people or i read some people interpreting that it means even if she was infertile before this would make her fertile oh <laughs> uh, well gosh okay <laughs> it's a little interpretive. okay yeah. maybe that was just like this guy was shooting blanks okay that's all that i'm saying i feel like people are really like <sighs> reaching and desperate to try to justify this if they talk about it at all 
And like I was yeah. saying, it's pretty much only ever in response to someone else pointing out, hey, this is a messed up thing. Whereas like I could barely find any articles that were just about it itself without like not just as a response to yeah to someone saying well, hey, this is messed up. You both you're meaning no, you and I, Jace, we uh-huh. both read this theology for women dot org long, long article on numbers five and how, yes, there are problematic things regarding it and women and its treatment of women. But basically, it's saying in this, like, consider the context. Remember that civilization isn't very civilized at this point in humanity. In context of the ancient world, including outside the bounds of Israel, a husband was understood to have full authority over his wife, and if accused of adultery, would have been well within his cultural rights to divorce her without cause, and in some cases, even put her to death. I'm like, what are those freaking cases? Yeah, no, and I mean, also we covered, just they're we saying that, that already, like because that... a priest is called in to mediate, like it's all good. Well, we covered that already. Like that was covered in Leviticus. This idea of like if you catch yeah. someone in the act of adultery, both parties get put to death. Like that's yeah. just it's like no question. I was like, um, for all y'all out there who've watched um, The Handmaid's Tale, oh yeah, boy, yeah. there's there's a scene that's what it's based on. Just that. That's yeah. exactly the whole point. Yeah, the Bible yeah. is based on The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> So, well I know known, Margaret well Atwood is, is immortal oh, and basically has been around since the dawn of time. <laughs> she knows. Yep. She knows. I definitely found some people putting in commentary of like, you know, just the nature of this, like the nature of putting someone through this ordeal and the way that human beings would respond to it. Would, it would be clear if someone was innocent or guilty mm. just based on how they would react to having to clear go through this how? test. And I'm like, Because right, no. that works so well with the witch trials. Exactly. Because it's like with the yeah. witch trials, you're like, we're going to burn you. If you don't burn, you're a witch. And if you burn, you're a human. It's, and it's like, oh, she's acting all nervous. Clearly she's a witch. You know, it's, it's right. that oh, kind of thinking. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is problematic, obviously, in so many ways. And I feel, I just feel bad for women of the time. I feel bad that like, and and it's understandable that women now are angry. I'm angry. I'm sure you're angry, Dedeker. Oh, like, we're all oh, just angry oh, because... Don't even get me started. Well, exactly. It's just been like thousands upon thousands of years of oppression. And it's hard because like, there are people out there like Mike Pence who just look at the Bible and they're like, yeah, this is like a thing that, you know, is is something that we have to take, you know, to the letter, the letter of the law. Mm. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. Well, we, so yeah. I was actually just reading, reading aloud to Dedeker the other day. Oh, oh yeah? Um, s- some like worksheet material from a site called Queer Theology that I follow, mm-hmm. um, that I find very interesting. But in it, they were talking about kind of how to approach the Bible, how to read the Bible. And oh, oh, yeah, they were kind of addressing one of these, like th- what they were saying is a common misconception about the Bible is that it is an instruction book, is mm. that it has all the answers you need and all, all the things that we've heard Christians say. It's like, it's the only book you need. Like if you ever need Basic an answer. instructions before leaving earth. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. All those things yeah. people say. Mm-hmm. And basically this, this person being like, it's not though, like, let's be real here. It's a combination of a bunch of different types of books, some which are a historical record of a people trying to figure out how to make their society work. Other yeah. parts of it are 
poetry, you know, other parts of it are genealogies. Like there's a bunch of different stuff, but none of them are trying to be a book of answers. Mm. Like the Bible's not a self-help book. It was never meant to be. And it's only much later that people have kind of tried to put so, that on it, which I well, think yeah, very I much mean, applies here. My question is if it isn't those things that people like often tout it as, then what is the Bible? Is it like essentially a written record of like shit that happened back in the day? Part of it and, was or, or stories that were told back in the day and of censuses? Well, that's the thing. In the I, case I of feel numbers. Like we had this conversation very early on is is that the Bible is not just one thing, even right. though it's many people will try to tell yeah. you that it is just one thing, you yeah. know? And it's also one thing that was that was decided through an editing panel in like Many the year three hundred yeah. or something like that, you know. Well, yeah, it was it's just yeah. It's just so interesting because you know the two of you, like theoretically, I'm I'm assuming this is a big like presumption here, but I'm assuming that like you looked at the Bible when you were younger through the lens that it was given to you, which I'm assuming was like you know, your parents really believed in it and really cared about it. And it became this thing that was very like intense and big for them. But someone like me who comes to the Bible through no lens, through no knowledge whatsoever, through even like skepticism, it's just, it's such a different text than like, I think it probably would have been presented to the two of you. And I'm I'm sure it's like different going back and having all that knowledge that you once had in your head. And now like, reliving it rereading it or reading it for the first time it's got to be fascinating from your standpoint too well yes but bear in mind that when you're a young innocent child yeah you don't read these parts well first of all you don't <laughs> no, read these parts I mean, but second you don't read of all, like much of it but you yeah. still read some intense disturbing parts but like many like young, but like many young childs like many young children you take cues from the adults around you Right. Yeah. And so if the adults read a passage that's about how like the Israelites slaughtered and enslaved thousands of people and the adults are like, good for the Israelites. God made that happen. They're the chosen people that you as a child are also like, okay, cool. Great. Yeah. Good for them. Like you don't, you don't think about the implications because you haven't been taught to think about the implications. You've been taught what you've been taught. And so, and so yes, for me with a lot of this, it is going back and be like, whoo, wow, that's wow. Okay wow, that's, um, wow, that's upsetting and disturbing and a yeah. little weird, but like, that's not some, the, a lot of these things are not things that occurred to me as a child because like, cause you're there relying on the adults to help you understand what it means. Well, but that's like scary as fuck. <laughs> we were talking about this on our other podcast about how children are capable of feeling, you know, feeling normal base level emotions of like fear or sadness or happiness. But like, having an emotional reaction to a to like being told about a tragedy like to a more complex thing. to a more complex thing where the tragedy of it is more complex is something you have to learn later on in life yeah yeah and i think that especially if you're just not even encouraged to like really think the whole thing through it's just sort of like okay yeah that's a fact i think the same thing happens with history right that that you could learn in history class about some terrible thing that was done to the Native Americans, for example. Yeah. And it just, it doesn't go into that much detail, but there is enough there that if you were paying attention and thinking critically, you'd go, wait a minute, 
this is really messed up to the people on the other side of this, but it's like, because you don't spend time on that, you just don't think it. And I, I feel like yeah. a similar thing happens here. Mm. Yeah. It's like there's this surface level of like, yeah, this is a thing that happened, but never going any deeper than these are the implications of that. Right. Yeah. Especially, going deeper into the like, and we think these yes. are the good guys. And especially, yeah, especially if the implications reflect not so favorably on the person who wrote the history book. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, numbers five, did not read as a child, was not taught to me. However, if it was, I suspect that the way it would be taught to me would be something along the lines of, so there's a situation where a woman commits adultery, but no one knows if she actually did or not. There's no witnesses. There's no proof. But God was the one who witnessed. And so he gave us this ritual or gave them at this time this ritual to be able to determine. And what an amazing thing that magically, if she was innocent, she would be fine. And if she wasn't innocent, then supernaturally, this would happen. Like this was, this is a way of God enacting his judgment and giving his people a way to be able to have judge justice, even when there's like no witnesses and no proof. That's how it would have been taught to me is like, this highlights the power of God and it wouldn't be taught to me in a sense of like, this was messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. Yeah. Well, I think that's something too, is that I think the, the reading of this and the understanding of it is very different if you 100% are believing that God is actively involved in all of the things that God Mm. is said to be actively attributed to God. Right. So like the same with the casting lots, Um, you know, that we, we talked about that before, I think in one of the bonus episodes about casting lots and how it was done. It's essentially with the priests, right. It's essentially rolling dice and that, in some accounts, it looks back and like, uh, I think specifically Jewish scholars are like, yeah, yeah, this was a thing that was done to kind of make decisions where the outcome didn't really matter. For example, mm-hmm. of choosing which goat was the scapegoat and which goat which Like when goat you need wasn't. a random number generator. Right. You just need a random yeah. decision made. And rather than sitting around in a committee and trying to decide, it's just like, we're going to let God decide. Boom. Yeah. Done. But for, I think, a lot of conservative Christians who maybe look at this less critically, it is just like, no, God actually decided those things, and this is how they determined the the will of God. Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious to see what kind of interpretations there are of this, specifically amongst Jews, um, Mm. of like, what's this about? Like, what's going on here? Why do we not do this today? When did that change? I, I think that sort of... Yeah. history of how that law changed over time would be interesting to to understand because maybe it's that there were later writers who wrote other Jewish laws that overwrote that one or something. I just don't know. Well, if any of you know out there, we'd love to hear from it or hear about it for sure. Yeah. Um, I did have one last thing on a light, lighter note, um, and that is about the Nazarite vow that we read about in number six. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Basically, a Nazarite is, you know, one who voluntarily takes a vow to work for the priesthood, right? Become devoted to Yahweh for a certain amount of time. And I was like, how long is this amount of time, though? And what I found out is that according to uh, a lot of this comes from what's called the Misne Torah, Mm. which was a book written in like the 1100s that was kind of a collection put together of Jewish laws 
it was basically meant to be like, if you read the Torah and then you read this, that's all you need. Like you've got all the laws then and an understanding of all of them. Uh, and in that one, it clarifies um, partly, I guess, based on stuff that's in the Torah and others on later interpretations or tradition, but that a person, when they um, decide to be a Nazarite, they just have to say it verbally. It can be in any language. I am a Nazarite. Yeah, you just did it. Oh, crap. Emily, no. you can't drink now for <laughs> No more drinks bad. for you. <laughs> so this declaration can be in any language. And it can even be as simple as a Nazarite passes by and you say, me too. <laughs> that makes you a Nazarite now. You've taken that vow. So be careful. Okay. Wow. So really be careful one. what you say. Okay. Um, but here's the interesting thing is that the duration is always 30 days or more. And okay. so if you don't specify like Emily just didn't, um, then it's 30 days. Hmm. Or if you okay. specify, I'm going to be a Nazarite for two hours it's 30 days. You can't go less than 30 days of being a Nazarite. Jeez. Um, however, you, uh, someone can say, I'm a Nazarite forever or for all of my life, and then it is permanent. And you've huh. now taken that vow and it's permanent. Wow. This one's interesting too, is that a father, but not a mother, can declare his son, but not his daughter, a Nazarite. So, so okay. fathers can declare their sons a Nazarite, but not their daughters, and mothers can't do it to either child. However, however, that kid has the right to say, nope, I'm not going to do <laughs> oh, it. Wow. Oh, well, yeah. that's good. Yeah. So that was interesting. Huh. Um, but yeah, this Mishneh Torah is actually really interesting because um, it's still taught today, actually. Some, some rabbis encourage the reading of this um, still as a way to, to better understand you know, um, Jewish law and study and all that stuff. It's actually very wow. interesting. Um, yeah. And then the last thing is that um, in this article, it mentioned that the Rastafari religion incorporates aspects of this Nazarite vow into it in modern day as well. Oh, huh. okay. Yeah, That's including great. things like um, not drinking alcohol um, and not cutting hair, which mm. is uh, why oh, yeah. dreadlocks are associated with Rastafari because you don't cut your hair and the, wow. and they they attribute it specifically to Samson, who we'll get to later. Yes, who some believe had dreadlocks, and so I mean, I love that song by <laughs> Regina Spector. Yeah, yeah. So the only bit that. that I know of Samson and Delilah is of that song. Yeah. So in any case, yeah, Nazarite, you can um, you can be one if you want. All you gotta do is take the vow. Alrighty. Thirty days or more. Great. Good to know. <laughs> All right, patrons. Well, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us for this interesting discussion of numbers five and six. Uh, if you have anything out there, uh, any more information on this, we'd really, really love to hear it. Uh, any like specific reasoning why this is included in the Bible, what it means for people today. Uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you. So let us know and we'll see you next time.